Power Project Familia, how's it going? This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Merrick health now if you know derek from more plates more dates which you obviously do he owns this trt <laughs> clinic and merrick health is the premium telehealth trt and hrt clinic where we have something called the power project panel if you're just interested in getting labs for men and women 26 different labs that'll give you everything you need to know but if you want to work directly with somebody who can give you advice on exactly what treatment you should get merrick health has those doctors too so check them out. Andrew, can you tell the people how to get it? Yeah, absolutely. So we have links down in the YouTube description as well as the podcast show notes. But you need to head over to MerrickHealth.com. That's M-A-R-E-K Health.com. And uh, yeah, if you are interested in TRT, you can actually contact them. You'll hop on the phone with them. And when it comes time to actually start paying for some of these panels, just let them know that you heard it through us and you want to use promo code POWERPROJECT15. And that's going to save you 15% off all the recommended labs that they give you. Again, links to them down in the description as well as the podcast show notes uh highly recommend it they are the premium telehealth hrt clinic trt clinic uh they're really they're second to none so head over there right now power project family this episode's going to come with some heat so with that being said here's a medical disclaimer mark bell's power project podcast does not contain medical advice we are not doctors nor are the featured guests the contents of this podcast such as videos text graphics images and other material are intended for entertainment informational and educational purposes only and not for the purpose of rendering medical advice the contents of this podcast are not intended to substitute professional medical advice diagnosis nor treatment although we make efforts to keep medical information on our channel updated we cannot guarantee that the information on our channel reflects the most up-to-date research. Consult your physician for medical advice. Always seek the advice of a physician or other qualified healthcare providers regarding a medical condition. Never disregard or delay seeking professional medical advice or treatment because of something you heard on a podcast. Before taking any medications, over-the-counter drugs, or supplements for herbs, consult a physician for a thorough evaluation. This podcast does not endorse any medications, vitamins, or herbs, nor do we condone the use of illegal drugs or using drugs for an unintended purpose. A qualified physician should make a decision based on each person's medical history and current prescriptions enjoy just take your time with your words over there so that way we don't need an interpreter okay with whatever this fucking <laughs> accent is over here uh, no, I'll go slow. <laughs> should i sign i can sign a, it too if i need to. I'm just being a dick face <laughs> hey thanks for coming on the show today i think this is a really important topic you're hearing more and more people uh talking about psychedelics and uh how they could potentially be used to overcome all kinds of things addictions um depression anxiety just uh a whole host of things and there people are discovering more and more all the time uh that it's seeming to work really well but there's some resistance from just our culture in general has kind of pushed these things down for a long time and kind of uh withheld information for many years. Uh, I was just listening to something this morning where they were talking about LSD having like a 50% recovery rate in the 1950s for people getting off of alcohol. I'm like, damn, 50%. <laughs> like, I, you know, I don't know where the stat comes from or whatever, but I was like, if that's true, that's pretty damn good. In your opinion, why have, uh, why has there been so much resistance uh, towards uh, people being more open-minded towards what psychedelics can actually do? I think there's a lot of um, la a lack of education is where it, c it comes from in many uh, senses. And, but the huge resistance is with um, the knowledge that there is a substance that God gave us that can cure addiction. Or I like to call it an addiction interrupter. 
can give you a second chance. I'm a big believer in second chances. And there is a substance that we have in our possession that we could make more widespread. And the knowledge that people are making billions, trillions, who knows how much money on substances that require you to take them repeatedly for the rest of your life to um, maintain a state of not sobriety, but of um, well-being so you don't get sick, you're not withdrawing. They have that power to keep people enslaved. I mean, the word addiction, I was, I've been told recently, and I, I had heard this before, is enslavement. And think about that for a second. They're, you're enslaved by a drug. That's just a horrible, horrible thing. And if there's something that can give you the power to have that second chance, and still it's hard work. It's not a magic um, bullet. It's not a, it, it, it gives you that second chance at a fresh start in having a, a good life. And there's a huge resistance to that because of money. It always comes back to money, it seems to me. And I just think that's a, it's a terrible thing, that people's greed gets in the way, and they'll put out you know false information, propaganda, whatever you want to call it, to um, prohibit the development and the different um, FDA approvals and things that would need to be done to get it to more people. And it's just blocked. And then there's, a, then there's anything that's psychedelic has always had this mystique to it and a negative connotation. So that that's what I see out there. My bad. My bad. <laughs> of course. I'm joking. Well, um, before we get too deep into it, uh, what exactly does Ibogaine do? Like, what exactly is it supposed to be able to help people with? Uh, and then... Also, so people can understand, too, what are things that individuals need to be somewhat careful of? Because, you know, I've heard Chris tell me some things that it does. And with a lot of things, some things just sound too good, right? So with everything, there has to be a give and a take. Mm -hmm. Can you explain some of that to us? Sure. I like to do things by example, if you don't mind. Some Mm -hmm. uh, One of um, one patient came and said that, um, wow, it seems too good to be true. And I hear that echo in in your question. And I cut him off and I said, it's not too good to be true. I'm I'm telling you right now, it's, this is, this is your chance to do some work because you're unable to do it alone. Mm -hmm. So what, what it does is it will, it's the only substance on earth that we're aware of that, will help um, heal the receptors in the brain and increase your neuroplasticity so that you have a second chance at um, at learning more, at um, getting any type of addictive behavior. It could be um, gambling. Stay a little closer to the mic there. It could be gambling. It could be uh, anything that's habitual that isn't interfering with your life. So if, if you like playing video games, but that doesn't really cause any havoc in your life, it doesn't interfere with going to work or sleeping, you're not up all night, you're not spending all the family's money, mm-hmm. then it's really not a problem. But if it is doing all those things, then it is a problem. And I begin will rewire you and so that when you come out of the um, experience, which is like a lot like a trip, it's the best way to describe it. When you come out of the experience, that you will 
wonder why you ever had that problem to begin with. And you'll realize that it's a problem. And it's, you know, unlike ayahuasca or DMT, that is a outward journey. I would describe um, Ibogaine as an inward journey. So, so people understand it's um, a root bark from uh, a tree in Africa. It only grows in Gabon, Africa. Um, it is because of the climate. It's very hard to germinate to get the, the plant to grow. And it requires the, to be um, fertilized by the elephants that live there, that, the ones with the huge tusks that are poached. Off. So that's why they're, it's so rare because those elephants are poached oftentimes and, um, and their tusks taken for the ivory. So that particular, the plant, they get the root bark from that and shave that down. And the Bawiti tribe down there, it, that's their central part of their religion. If they don't use it for addiction, they use it for spirituality. Um, I talk to um, a shaman there like two or three times a week. Uh, Bita is his name. And he describes it to me. as it's a, We do this for church every single week. They've been doing it for thousands of years. And they have services where even the youngest of children uh, consume this in small amounts, obviously. And they don't do it for addiction. They do it because it brings it closer to their ancestors. They, he says it keeps it keeps our minds right. That's that's what I hear him echo in his words. It keeps our minds right, so that people who have um, tendencies to towards criminality won't to, to to be more peaceful within the community. Like that's the reasons that that they do it. So I'm sorry I've gone off on a tangent a little bit. But uh, redirect me at any time. Well, I did hear that one negative side effect is uh, it may do something to your heart, but I don't mm-hmm. know, like you know, where this where this comes from. There's something I heard uh, in researching it a bit. Yeah, I mean, th- that's one of the things that they'll say that that it accelerates. I've never personally witnessed anybody have any problems from it, but I encourage anybody. First of all, I'm a consultant. I don't procure ibogaine for anyone. If anyone wants to get Ibogaine, and they, they're going to do it on their own. I've happened to be fortunate to have been with so many people, guided them through the experience, that I have that level of, um, of experience and confidence on how to do it safely, as safe as possible. And it's always been said in, in the literature that I've read that it can accelerate your heart rate. And if you have a pre-existing condition, there could be some danger there. So I wouldn't recommend anybody be treated unless they had a full physical. And I always, um, now they have the portable EKG machines, mm-hmm. which I always keep with me. I encourage people to have those anyway and blood pressure cuffs and to make sure that their heart is working, you know, properly and not accelerated for any reason that has to do with any uh, medical problem. And I encourage everybody, I like to see their medical records. Um, so there is that out there. But somebody that's addicted is probably fairly open to having some sort of risk, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny to me that some people come to me and uh, they're smoking meth every day. And then they ask me if um, this is going to you know, be dangerous for hey, their heart. Safe? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, huh? Some people are shooting meth. You know, they're shooting heroin, they're shooting cocaine. At the, at the, and they're asking me if this is going to be okay for their heart. So, you know, people are strange. 
But uh, it, no, it's definitely it's definitely funny. But I've never personally witnessed or seen any type of, um, especially with regard to the heart. You know, you may have some nausea. You know, there's, you know, when you talk about the gives and the takes, it's a harrowing experience. <laughs> to do ibogaine, it's not a, a walk in the park. You know, that's why I, I cut my one that client off that time and said it's not too good to be true, because what you're going to experience is a situation where I give you a test dose and that to, and that's to make sure that you don't have any allergic reaction. And I've never had anybody have a allergic reaction like hives or breaking out with a rash or anything like that. And then I'll start, um, recommend that they take a certain amount of milligrams, depending on a lot of factors, their weight, the amount of substance they're taking. If there's a substance at all, lots of people want to um, do the experience because of um, some trauma that they had in their childhood. I had um, an individual that was um, molested by his baseball coach that had tremendous success. He had, was having nightmares every night, and this stopped that. Um, so there's people that have all types of different reasons that have heard or read about it and want to go through the experience. And I tell them it's just, it's just not an easy experience. It's very uncomfortable. After that second or third dose, and that usually goes like on the hour. And this is just the way that I've, over the years, talking to the shaman, talking to as many people as I could, reading as much as I could, but most importantly, everybody's different. So it's the hundreds of people that I've had in front of me and can watch them. And the way that they look and the way they answer my questions, I can tell if they need more to get to the place that they need to be to overcome. And it becomes like a gift. I believe I was called to this. And through all these crazy things in my life that, that happened, it led me, you know, to this. Uh, you know, I thought I was helping people when I was an attorney for 28 years. And that the best thing I did, my best day as an attorney, didn't um, help anyone as much as my worst day treating people with Ibogaine. So I'm guessing that an individual has to come in with intention because one of the big things that I was curious about, you know, from what I've been hearing, it's how it can, you know, scrub receptors, help individuals change habits is that, well, they need to come in with something specific that they're trying to change or does it have an effect on all types of patterns an individual has? I had an individual, um, David come and I picked him up at the airport. He, um, his legs were going on the floor of the car and i'm like you okay i'm not gonna make it man i'm not gonna make it man what's the matter he goes i haven't done heroin or cocaine in three days i'm not gonna make it i'm like all right take a deep breath you're gonna make it <laughs> and when we get to where we're going we're gonna i'm gonna say i'll tell you you know advise you on what to do and once he had consumed the, the test dose then those symptoms went went subsided and his his reason for coming was, as I said, the cocaine and the heroin. It's all he wanted to do. And it was a situation where he had, you know, gotten in an accident. It's, I say the same story over and over again. People get in some kind of type of problem where they get prescribed a drug. And then as time goes on, they have to switch to heroin because it's cheaper. And then because it's hard to function on heroin for long periods of time without nodding off or, you know, the opiate suppresses your central nervous system. 
so that you end up using the stimulant, cocaine or methamphetamine, to try and eke wood off a la John Belushi's speedball and try and um, function that way. So I did the treatment with him. I advised him what to do. He had the experience, and I like to stay with people um, as long as necessary, but at least until they're eating regular food again and they're up walking around. And a few days, I'd say two and a half days after um, his experience with um, with the drug was over, he says to me, I haven't smoked in three days, almost three days. I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day, and I, I forgot about it. I hadn't even thought about it, you know, and I said, I, I had no idea. And you never mentioned anything about smoking. You never told me that you were a smoker before. So that was completely incidental to um, to the treatment that he came for. Mm-hmm. And it was just a habit that he would have loved to break, but he didn't even think he had enough problems. Cigarettes weren't on the top of his list. Yeah, I find it uh, that's really interesting, like how the people use the different drugs, you know, in, in accordance to like, I guess, kind of how they're how they're feeling. What can you explain what the experience actually feels like when you go when you take ibogaine? Like mm-hmm. what sure. what kind of happens? What was your first experience with it? That's the easiest thing for me to is explain because I can articulate what happened to me uh, more than anything. And like I had, um, it might be helpful if I tell you how why I even took it, and mm-hmm. then go into the experience of the. Um, it's you know I had never experimented with many drugs like marijuana in high school, um, you know all through even college I was bodybuilding, you know I went to school at St Michael's in Winooski Vermont, and I went into Mister Vermont a number of times. Um, I used to compete with Arnie List, who's from up there. Um, he was a good friend, and um, I, I just because of the bodybuilding, as you know, you stay away from the drink and, and the drugs. So I pretty much went through my whole college, college experience without consuming, uh, experimenting with drugs. And then I was into law school. I went to Boston College Law School. And it, it, was, it was the same thing. You, I wasn't competing then, but um, you pretty much stayed away from drugs. Then I got into the, um, I was hired by the district attorney's office in Middlesex County. And so, you know, now I'm getting up up into my 30s, and I haven't really done any drugs at all. I leave the district attorney's office, and I get a job with a law firm in downtown Boston, and I'm on my way to work at 8.30 in the morning. And a car um, blew a stop sign and broadsided my truck. And uh, one thing I never forget to do is um, wear my seatbelt, but I didn't have it on that day. And I got ejected from my truck into oncoming traffic and I was like in a catcher's stance coming up when when I kind of came to and the car struck me straight on and that that's the last thing I remember I lost my spleen um my left patella tendon was torn had to be repaired I broke my right ankle um I had some head injuries I broke my nose and when I was in the hospital I can remember them having um the morphine drip and they told me to um, hit the button as needed I think every six or eight minutes, I can't recall exactly how long. And I can remember hitting the button, and I was getting nauseous. It wasn't something that agreed with me at all. After three days, I was pressing that motherfucker like like it was no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You know, they they turned me into something that I I had not been. Then in my treatment, they gave me um, 80 and 40 milligram um, OxyContin. I didn't even know what it was in 1999. 
And by the time I had heard the term hillbilly heroin and it was all in the news, it, it was too late. You know, I was I was off to the races with it. And I had a million prescription bottles. One A kid was at my house one time and he was in the bathroom and he came out and he said, what are all these Oxycontin doing here? And, and I'm like... They give me those for my accident, but I don't even take them because I don't feel them. He goes, that's because they have this time-release coating on them. And he shows me you can wash it off under the sink. He washes off uh, uh, the green coating on an 80, and he crushes it up and makes a line out of it, and he snorts it. And I'm like, are you, are you out of your mind? I, I put something up your nose like that? And he's like, he goes, bro, you know, at that point in time, my wife had passed away. And, uh, and he's like, you need this right now. And, you know, it's the last thing I needed. But I did it, and then I, I started a love affair that lasted, you know, a decade with the Oxycontin. And after that accident, my wife, Michelle, had uh, nursed me back to health, literally. And we had two kids, and my son, um, Anthony, was 17 months old. And, um, and Michelle had been having headaches, like really bad, really bad headaches. And she had an appointment on that Monday, and... um Sunday morning, the phone rang, and it was my daughter, Kiara, wishing me a happy Father's Day. And uh, and uh, the phone woke Anthony up, and I took him downstairs, and I said, let mommy sleep. So we went downstairs, and I made him breakfast, and I, was, I thought it was odd she was still sleeping um, because I knew she, people were going to come over the house. We just had We bought a new house, and we went back upstairs to um, wake her up. When I moved the sheets, there was blood coming out of her nose, out of her ear. Um, I haven't talked about it in a long time. Uh, she, um, I rushed her. I, you know, called 911. I had hit her sister come over to take Anthony so we wouldn't have to see. And I rushed her to the hospital and they shaved her head and they operated and trying to, um, you know, because she had a brain, brain bleed, a cerebral mm -hmm. aneurysm. And, um, I find out from people more and more that people have suffered this. I didn't even know it existed beforehand and so we lost her that day and um i had already started um after the car accident i had previously um i had opened my own law practice rather than try to um to go back and get another job because the firm i had been with had to let me go because i was out for so long so i started my own law practice and the thing things went on time went on eventually You'll get on the drugs, off the drugs. Finally, I got off the drugs after numerous rehabs and everything. Then in 2016, I got rear-ended by a drunk driver. She was going 110 in her father's work van, and I was going 65. And um, I snapped my neck so bad that when I got to the hospital, they, uh, I had to do a full-level decompression infusion. I know I sent a picture over, and so that's what's in my neck right now. And then what did they do? Stop prescribing me the drugs again. So that's a long-winded way to tell you that um, I had first heard about Ibogaine. When that happened, my sister, Trisha, she says, uh, have you ever heard of Ibogaine? And I'm like, no, never. What? She goes, I was watching um, an episode of Special Victims Unit, <laughs> And there was a, um, a heroin addict that they needed as an essential witness. And Dr. Lee took him over um, to Mexico and had this treatment with Ibogaine and brought him back in less than a week. And he he had been, you know, cured. And I guess that's how, what they showed in the episode. So as soon as I heard the name, 
I was voracious in my um, researching this. And so that's how it was that I came to, um, to, to seek the treatment. And then what did it, when you took it, what did it, what does it do? What does it feel like? Okay. So I was fortunate enough to, um, to see an episode with um, Dave Palumbo of RX Muscle where Guru Amin was on and I contacted him and he was a lifesaver for me. He, um, I went there and I got it, the test dose. So, um, I had gone, I had fasted as he told me, was just drinking water Everything that he said to do, you know, came off any drugs that I, that I was on because Ibogaine is a great potentiator. Anything you take, and if you, I would say, if you were drinking coffee every day, that um, you drank, like, say, two cups of coffee, you couldn't drink a quarter of a cup of coffee that strength, that, you know, right after your treatment because it would make you sick. It's like giving coffee to a newborn baby because that's how it cleanses your receptors. Um, so... After that test dose, which I didn't feel that much from the test dose, which was 50 milligrams, he started to give me um, the, a regular dose of like 100 or 150. And on, just about every hour, he would ask me how I felt. Three or four pills in, um, I was like, I need to lay down. I started to feel heavy. First, you feel like tingly and warm. And and it's it's somewhat pleasant, but then then, then, it, gets, then it gets unpleasant. <laughs> and when it gets unpleasant, you start you want to lay down, and th- start things start happening. I know when I treated your brother Chris, he um some of the things that happened, he kept hearing a buzzing. He's what's that sound? What's that sound? I'm like that's in, everybody hears that. It's in your head. That's you know whatever's being mended up there, your receptors. It's in, it's in your head, man. It's not. And then he's laughing. I don't I don't know what he's laughing about. He's telling me you sound like Charlie Brown, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, "When did you turn the TV on?" He goes, "Shut the TV off." I go, "Bro, the TV's not on. <laughs> it's just black." And he's looking at it like it's going, "Shh, it's not, man." <laughs> I go, "Trust me." And so that's that's what happens. Like funny things start to happen, and then. You know, every uh, I get, approximately every hour, you get like a, you know, on your shoulder, and um, how you feeling? And you say how you feeling? How's the wave? Like if the wave could be, you know, one to a ten. What wave you riding right now? Okay, I'm riding like a six. Okay, here's another one, and then <laughs> the, another hour goes by, and it just not, you know you you're not sleeping, but. But you're not doing anything, I'll tell you that. You're in a catatonic state where your mind is, you're coming inward and you start to, I started to, um, like, see things from my past. When, like, things that would happen with my family, um, things that my parents decided were important enough to reprimand us on or punish us about. And, you know, the first time that I ever shoplifted when I was a little kid, the peer pressure that was involved the first time I, I uh, grabbed my father's gun out of his top drawer and decided it was a good idea to run around the neighborhood and play with it. Things like that were like very vivid dreams. And that some of them were pleasant. Most of them were horrible. But the whole time, your body was um, never in a restful state. It was like you were fighting to, to heal yourself. It was like an internal struggle, and that lasted, for me, it lasted two full days. Yeah, 
Were you so you, you mentioned that there's ibogaine being taken like on the hour? Yeah. Were you taking ibogaine every hour? Pretty much every hour. You didn't sleep it, all that time. I didn't. It wasn't. It looked like I was sleeping. And okay. when I treat people, it looks like they're sleeping. You, I laid down and. Honestly, I it was like a roller coaster. I'm not a good. I learned because I didn't know. I'm not good with psychedelics. I had, didn't have any experience. One time we went to Ozfest and they, somebody had the, had the great idea of making a tea, so we drank it in the limo. Bad idea. Wait, what kind of tea was it? With um, psilocybin. Oh, so okay. somebody made. I'm sorry, I should have said. Somebody made, made a mushroom. Um, uh, yeah. A mushroom tea with the psilocybin, and I don't think they had any idea what the strength of it was because whatever they had in the bag, they just threw in, made a tea, and mixed it with a Kool Aid, and we're all sitting, in, <laughs> we're all sitting in the limo, and everybody's like, "Yeah!" When I got there, I just remember hanging on. I had this fucking this huge friend, and I was hanging onto his back, and I'm like, "If I lose this dude, you're never gonna find me." And I walked. They just walked around Ozfest, like through the crowd all day long, and every time. I opened my eyes, everything was moving. And I'm like, this is not for me. I don't get what people like about this. And that's what would happen with, with the eye begin. If I if I opened my eyes, everything was moving. Ooh. So after and I had really no good concept of time, but I'm told that it was like two days in, in a row. And then um Amin would say, uh, you would think you want like at that point I'd all only eaten some fruit. So it takes, and this happens with every person, just so people are aware. You don't have any um, real appetite, and you don't have a great um, desire to even drink water. But, you know, you need to be hydrated. So I, I have multivitamins and minerals that you take ahead of time and different things that can help um, calm your stomach down if you get because you can imagine the tree you're fasting and a root bark is in a capsule that's opening up in your stomach mm -hmm. you know and your stomach's going what the fuck is this you just gave me and it's it's just not pleasant so some people get um you know and that's why i encourage people to um fast so they don't have anything to actually purge and and not everybody listens but they learn the hard way Oof. when when they it comes up but and that's not good if they have, they went and got ibogaine and um, and they lose it. So just better for everybody. But that whole experience of the catatonic state isn't something that that I would call or any uh, anybody I believe would call um, enjoyable in its totality. So if you watch YouTube and you see the the ceremonies, you see the um, members of the Bwiti tribe. I mean, they're all painted up and they have their garb on, but most of the time they're just laying down. And I can tell you, I was laying on the bed, white knuckled, hanging on like I'm on a roller coaster. And that's when I opened my eyes, that's what it felt like. So when Amin said, if you feel like getting anything to eat, like I'd swing my legs off the bed in the hotel room where we were staying, I opened my eyes, and if everything was still moving, I'd swing them back, and I'd go, nope, not yet, and just lay back down. And I just rode it out so that... How many hours was that? I'm going to say that for me, it was like three and a half days. But what did it feel like? It was three and a half felt, days, but what did it feel like it was? It, it felt like, um, oh, it felt in time? Yeah. Like, oh, it, it felt um, that I had no concept of time. Like I had to ask him, you know, what, what time, what day is it? I, I really Did it feel know, longer or? It felt longer. It felt longer. It felt okay. longer. Yeah, I was lost in like a time warp. And Every son, I can remember times when I wanted 
it to come back because I wanted to finish where I got interrupted. Like for whatever reason, like it's just a dream. Like if you, if you wake up from a dream, you might not remember it. And some of the things I was waking up and saying, Hey, give me a pen. I want to write down what just happened because I'm not, I don't think I'll ever remember it. And then I couldn't read anything I wrote later anyway. So I wrote a bunch of stuff down and I, I wasn't able to really decipher much of it. Um, but it definitely felt longer than it was. And it, it just, since I don't like that feeling of having no control of myself, to me, it wasn't a, um, a pleasant experience. But other people have described it as a pleasant experience, that they liked it. And so everybody, that's the one thing that I know about this is it's completely individual. Mm. How much people need to take, and it, it's all dependent on what their issues are and their their body composition, um, how much of whatever substance they took. Like somebody that it's coming for for straight depression, um, and somebody that's coming for an opiate addiction or a methamphetamine addiction or an alcohol addiction or any substance abuse addiction, they're going to need less. Generally speaking, they're going to need less. And and then and I suggest, and that's all I'm doing is making suggestions. Based on what I've, you know, studied, but mostly based on what I've seen, because I was with I mean for fifty people before I ever ventured out on my own, and his forte is um, is helping people as a diet coach, and in my opinion, from what I saw, because we were together for two years, that there's nobody that pays more attention to detail than him, and so that so he's gone back into what he loves, but I couldn't stop doing this, and I've tried to expand it. And um, I'm, I used to live in St. Croix, and uh, but when we had the hurricane, we had two hurricanes in a year. So I rebuilt the house on St. Croix, and I'm going to try and um, have people come there to uh, to consult them on being treated. But people like me to go to them well, most of the time. Yeah, it's like COVID. It's illegal here in the United States, right? It's, right. That's why I, I tell everybody, and uh, they have a paper they have to read and sign, that um, I'm strictly there to consult you. If you are going, if you were going to do, it, I can't recommend that you you do this because of the illegality of it. I mean, I'm not. I'm. Uh, I'd stand up here being a liar if I told you I don't think it's a good thing because it, it helped me. It, uh, you know, it's it's dramatic for me to say it saved my life, but it probably did. You know, I was driving around, you know, doing oxycotton all the time. You know, that's not a good thing to do. Um, so who knows if it saved my life or not? I felt I feel it did, and I feel that it. I tried so many other things for so long, gone to traditional rehabs, twelve step programs, and I, and I ha- have to say that I always help people in the aftercare. You have to have some type of aftercare because when this is over, you can't go to the neighborhood where everyone's smoking crack and think you're not going to smoke crack. It's not going to happen. You know, sooner or later, it's going to come back. So you have to have, you have to get that phone out and get rid of all your plugs. You want nowhere, you want to have no way to get whatever it is you might want. If you're a gambler, I don't suggest you live in Las Vegas. Whatever it is, you need to get away from it and have a, a, um, a, a management protocol, good people to surround yourself with. And whether that be a 12-step program that you get involved in, or um, people at your church, or a sponsor, whatever. You need something just to have that lock that you're going to be okay afterwards. 
And every time I treat somebody, it's like I have a new family member because, they, you know, everyone calls, I get cards and thank yous and things like that. Um, and so that that's the reason I keep doing it because I feel good about being able to help people like that. And you wouldn't believe how many people say that I saved their life or I changed their life or things of that nature. But it's definitely um, not, a, in my opinion anyway, a pleasant experience to go to, that, which is a good thing because it's the last thing from an addictive substance. You know, they want to schedule it, it as a, a drug, but it's maybe the only drug on uh, a Schedule One drug that's not, you don't wake up and want to do it again. Believe me, you don't want to do this again when you're done doing it. It's the last thing you want to do. Moreover, a lot of people show up, and they'll bring their drug of choice with them. This is where I am most careful, is because a lot of people have it in their mind. Okay, if this doesn't work, I want to make sure that I have um, my pain pills with me. So I'm going to hide them in the bathroom. And if it doesn't work, then at least I know I have a crutch there. Mm. So I have to explain how dangerous that is, how what a potentiator ibogaine is, and I have to go through their stuff. And you know, it's it's no reflection on how I feel about them. I have to do it with everybody, and then I take it and I just put it in the safe or wherever. And then when we're done, I give it back. That's how I was taught. That's what I do. I give it back, and they're like, "John, no, I don't want to see it." You know, I didn't want to see it. You know, after I did the same thing, and um, no, you have to throw it away as a self of as self empowerment. You need to actually be the one to dispose of it and make that statement. And the other thing I I suggest I never do a treatment. I never help anybody in their place of, of their abode. I wouldn't go to their house because I believe that they should. Um, and this comes from talking to them, and it's a great community like on Facebook. You know, when people see this, see the red pill reset. On that, get a lot of people from Gabon actually taught, say, "Hey, join our community," and it's a good place to share ideas and learn. Um, send me articles back and forth and things like that. And everybody agrees that you shouldn't do it in your house because that's where you reside. You should do it in a place where you're never going to go again. Just shed your skin and whatever um, bad you came to cure to get beyond just leave it where we are and, and walk out the door and never go back there i think uh, a lot of times you know people are utilizing drugs some of the drugs you mentioned earlier like oxycotton um i think alcohol and some of these things i think they're an escape and a lot of times it's a way to maybe just temporarily put your life on pause and kind of go somewhere else and potentially even be somebody else you know like I, i'm pretty quiet pretty reserved um but you know, I don't know, like, what would happen if I <laughs> I took cocaine or something. I imagine I would, you know, be probably turned into a slightly different person. Even just drinking alcohol, it makes me more social. Like, I don't, I'm not super talkative like my like my bro over there. But uh, what what do you think is the major difference between that, those kind of drugs that people are used to versus psychedelic drugs? Do you, do you feel like the psychedelics are um, more of a look, like, inward? And you have to actually, like... It sounds to me like you have to like face yourself. You have to face your demons rather than rather than swerve past them, which I think is what's being done when you're drinking alcohol and doing other things. No, I think that's a great point to bring up because all all those things where you're swerving past obstacles in your life, or it's like you want to forget something, or you know, at the end of the week, um, you know, 
people say, okay, it's time to break loose. They do coke. They do, and and I should mention that you know I run into a lot of people who drink. A lot of people who drink too much and would classify themselves as alcoholics. A lot of people who do cocaine and wonder whether you want to debate whether you can do too much cocaine or any cocaine is too much cocaine. When you do cocaine and alcohol together, one thing's for sure, that's a different drug. It becomes a different drug chemically, what it does to you, and a, a lot of people prefer that. I find most people that do one end up doing the other, at least with co- co- cocaine. You know, if you do cocaine, you usually drink. And I think that has to do with that effect of evening off. But those are escapes. Those are like, hey, the work week's over. You know, we want to do that because we want to forget that we have to go to work. We have to, you know, people go out so you can get out of the house if there's a bad environment there. They're all trying to escape something. But when you do um, psychedelics like psilocybin or DMT, um, which all have certain um, positive effects that I've noticed um, with regard to lifestyle changes. I begins just the only one that will halt addiction, and and I never thought I would ever, um, before I researched and before I seen so many people experience it, think there was anything that could I I could definitively say like I can literally at this point say you're going to stop the drug that you're doing. You know, you may not stop it forever. Some people need to do this again periodically, or if you're doing this for pain management, uh, athletic performance, you may need to microdose or do something else to um, prolong the effect. Because imagine if you're doing it for pain and then you go to, to the same activity that caused the pain in the first place, chances are you're going to have pain again. Mm-hmm. It's not going to, it's not a magic. You're not Superman now and you're not going to have that pain anymore. You have to be careful, but it will give you that second chance to decide how you conduct yourself in that activity so that perhaps you can avoid further injury or for further pain but i think your point is outstanding that um you make an event of doing mushrooms or the psychedelics becomes an event it's like an all-day thing you can't go to the bar and have um mushrooms for a couple hours because once you take them you're you're in for five you know and you're not sure what's gonna if it's going to be a good experience or a bad experience and if you don't have somebody with you that you enjoy i mean your environment is everything that's, you know, really important because that, you know, pretty much takes you by the hand and takes you where you're going to go. I don't know a lot of people that like to do psychedelics by themselves, but I'm sure that some people do. Um, but I begins just different from all of those because it's not anything that's pleasant enough that you would say like you would with mushrooms. Let's go party. Let's, you know, go out and take a nature walk. It's a blast. Or let's go to the club with some MDMA and dance our asses off. Like, yeah, I'm not saying any of that with Ibogaine at all. Because when it gets to that point where, you know, you want to, um, you're too heavy to actually stay on your feet, you're out, stick a fork in you, you're done. You're going to lay down and you're just going to hang on for dear life because Ibo takes you where it wants you to go. And you have to, that's the most important thing is I see people fight it. I've, I've one guy, uh, Frank, I'm sure you're listening. He's fuck, 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 fuck. Two days of fuck, 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 fuck. I'm almost sitting there in the bed next to him. Fuck, 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 fuck. Because he was just fighting it, fighting it. He just didn't like the feeling of it. 
You know what I mean? And, and then he wants to do it again. After he does it, he wants to do it again. But he wanted to watch TV throughout the whole thing. There's certain things you have to listen to me on. You have to let it take you where it wants you to go. You're going to go through the trouble and expense of doing this. You need to, um, uh, you know, we got to come wherever you're going to go. You got to schedule it. There's a lot of things involved. You got to at least follow the rules and let Ibogaine take you where it wants you to go because you can't control it. It's going to control you. What about uh, in comparison, because we're just comparing it to like other recreational drugs, what about in comparison to uh, antidepressants? And uh, if you could just stay close to the microphone too, I know sure. keep moving them. But yeah, how about in comparison to that? Like how does it, uh, I guess, handle depression or how does it deal with it? Because I know you mentioned it earlier. Yeah, I have a lot of people have, apparently there's more and more, because I'm I'm busy like like treating people and dealing with what I do. Um, a lot of, you know, I, I spend, I try and a lot some time to stay on top of the subject and stay on top of new research that comes out. But more and more and more, there's things about depression because more and more people, are, you know, they'll preface their inquiry on the redpillreset.com with, I don't have an addiction problem. But one, one I've had recently, um, I I adopted this child from um, a, a homeless woman, and um, then the paternal grandparents came and took the child from me after I raised it for seven years. And now all these tr- fantastic things are going on in this gentleman's life. He has a tremendous life, a life any of us would be envious to have, and he cannot find happiness. And I haven't treated him yet, and I'm praying that it, it helps him. But he's banking on this because it's it's amazing to me that he's not happy with all the things he has going for him. And he said, when they took that little girl from me, I can't find happiness. And so um, he believes it's going to happen. And there are other instances where where there's been like child abuse in the home and it stays with the person. And they have, I think, traumatic stress syndrome and, and depression that comes from that. And what I've observed, in, and that's a person that has no, these are people that have no substance abuse at all. And I see them come out the other side. And, you know, someone I treated recently is a 275-pound former bodybuilder who, again, another person who couldn't find happiness for a variety of reasons. When I left him, now when, you le- when I left my treatment, I stayed in bed for a week because it was such a um, draining experience. This guy, and I, but I was on drugs, so now I'm off drugs. And my body needs to get back. He wasn't on any, any substance abuse. He called me up that same day from the gym. Then he called me later that evening from a party. Then he called me at 2 in the morning from a gym again, telling me that he's never felt this good and his depression has lifted and um, he doesn't want it to end. And I said, okay, then, you know, we can figure out a microdosing protocol. And if you feel like it's coming, you know, you're going the other way just so that you feel more confident that it will last and things like that. So I've seen it. Um, and that's the best way I can describe it because I didn't have um, depression issues per se. Any depression I had was from, you know, other things that had happened in my Seems life. Seems like a, like a rewiring of your brain almost. That's what that's what people say, you know. And isn't it one of the only drugs too? And, and maybe you know the reason for this. I'm not sure, but 
Isn't it one of the only drugs that you can like come off of certain other drugs, cold turkey, like I think heroin or something like that? This is just stuff that I've heard just off off of brief uh, research on YouTube. So yeah, I mean, you don't have to titrate. In other words, you don't have to um, like take your um, drug of choice, the opiate, whatever it be, and start to lessen it as you increase right. the the. Uh, you and can. I don't think anyone knows why yet, right? Like, there's not. No, I don't believe there, there needs to be more research. And I know there's a company called Mind Cure. One of the reasons that there isn't more research, my understanding, whatever that's worth, uh, my understanding from my, what I've read and people I've talked to, is one of the reasons that you know, besides you know, big pharma not you know taking kindly to you know this community, um, the fact that there's a shortage of ibogaine. I nobody I think can procure ibogaine. On you know, I talk to these people you know, online from Gabon and have a pretty good handle on what's going on, you know, with, with the, um, the the procurement of it and the cultivation of it. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of unscrupulous people in the world. And, you know, when you order something, especially online now, you don't know what you're getting. And so let's say you are getting Ibogaine. I don't think anybody knows. You go on Ibogaine and you have like... You know, Ibogaine, whatever, Ibogaine Universe, you know, and they're selling, they're selling Ibogaine. And this total alkaloid, which is the root box, so they're digging up the root, and they sit around, and they chop it up into powder. And that has all the alkaloids. It's like coffee has more alkaloids than we know. But the only alkaloid that we care about for addiction is HCL. So that that needs to go to a compounding a, a, a chemist and have the HCL with, withdrawn from it. So it's still you wouldn't know if how potent that is if it's not ten years old the tree. And who in the world has been watching this tree for ten years to know that it's ten years old? And so unless you have a a place that's actually farming it, which it, it is being done now. So because there's a shortage of ibogaine. My understanding is that's one of the reasons that there's less research being done because there isn't as many much to get. And if you use so much in the um, the, the testing process and the and the approval process of this, that's more people that aren't being treated because there's an infinite amount of it on the planet. And so that's why companies like MindCure are, um, are trying to um, synthesize it like they did growth hormone. And then we'll have an unlimited amount of it, and that wouldn't be an issue. That would take one issue off the table with um, with trying to get it approved. So, And that also makes me wonder, too, like, I mean, something like Ibogaine, it can't be necessarily patented. You know, it, like psilocybin's becoming legal. We're in Oregon right now, right? Yeah, it's like you can do anything in Oregon right now. But yeah. Yeah, it's uh, in, in Oakland. Yeah, in Oakland, and some mm-hmm. stuff's getting FDA approval for treatments and stuff. I think, right? Yeah, yeah. But with with ibogaine, if it does everything you know, we're saying it can do, um, there is no, I guess, there's no medical incentive because with a lot of, I guess, opiate, like say uh, meth addiction, they'll put you on like methadone or other drugs, and you can take these other things, but you might have to take it for a long period of time or potentially the rest of your life. In this case, if you do this and potentially get some treatment afterwards, aftercare like you mentioned, there's no money to be made afterwards if it's a successful treatment. A hundred percent right. That's, you know, we've come full circle because that's the reason I would say at the very beginning 
when we started talking, is there isn't an incentive monetarily because you have things like Suboxone. And I have people come to me for Suboxone and they ask my advice. You know, what should I do in preparation to come? And I, and, you know, one thing that I could say is that, well, maybe you should go, what, what did you use Suboxone for? Well, I got it prescribed to me because I was taking oxycodone. And, which is a very short-acting opiate. Mm. And now they put me on oxy. Uh, now they put me on um, suboxone, which you know is uh, is you know e- even though oxycontin um, and oxycodone are, ma- are made obviously in a laboratory, they're still very akin to the um, opioid to the um, the poppy plant. You know the copy of that. That's the you know the opiate effect. The suboxone is made to aggressively bind the receptor site, and it's very hard to scrub off, as you were saying that you heard that terminology before. So something that wouldn't be unprudent to advise someone is to go back to that short-acting drug, go back on oxycodone, go back to your doctor, say, I don't want um, to take the the, um, suboxone anymore. Go back on the short-acting one because... The, the ibogaine will work much better. It'll be an easier transition with a short-acting opiate. It only makes sense than one that binds aggressive, so aggressively that the doctor's planning on you taking it the rest of your life. That's what okay. they're planning on. Fuck, 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 Frank. He was on, <laughs> he was on um, Suboxone, okay? And he he's had to fuck, 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 come off it two, two times with me. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and it's just brutal because it doesn't want to come off. It wants to stay bound, and so whoever made it, you did a good job mm. <laughs> screwing people's lives up because it's very difficult. And methadone is the is the other one. We're going to take a little bit of a break here because I want to bring my brother on the show too because I think it's a mistake to have him just sitting over there since you guys have uh, worked together and since uh, he's another person that has a success story with Ibogaine. So we're going to take a short break, set up another microphone, and we'll be right back. Power Project family, you know how much we talk about sleep on this podcast. A lot. Because sleep is one of the biggest things that you need for muscle gain, fat loss. I can't believe your cravings. You need good quality sleep. And that's why we are super pumped to be partnering with an amazing sponsor, 8 Sleep. Now, 8 Sleep is a mattress company that has something called the Pod Pro and the Pod Pro Cover. Okay, this is a cover that regulates the temperature of the mattress. So you can actually sleep cool. And they've done a lot of research showing that people that sleep on the 8 Sleep mattresses actually fall asleep 32% faster. But the great thing, too, people... We over here at The Power Project are hot sleepers. And what I mean is that we sweat. We have many times in our old mattresses woken up in a puddle of our own liquids being sweat. And let me tell you, that has not once happened in this eight sleep mattress because it Mm -hmm. keeps you cool while you sleep, which helps you get better restful quality sleep. Andrew, tell them more about it. Absolutely. Yeah. So and then another thing also is if you sleep with a partner and they maybe don't run as hot as you, you actually have dual temperature zones. So I can set mine extremely cold. My wife can set hers not as cold, but still cool. And that really is like that in and of itself is like it's so helpful. And especially again, like I said, when you sleep with a partner, they're happy. You're happy. You both wake up extremely happy. Everyone's happy. You got to head over to eight sleep dot com slash power project. That's eight spelled out. So E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash power project and you guys will receive $150 off your pod pro mattresses again 8sleep.com slash power project links to them down in the description as well as the podcast show notes head over there right now alright we're uh, we're done with our little break we don't usually have breaks but I felt pretty good I felt good I, to see I, him 
You feel better? Salad. I think it might be something we should implement. That was nice. We yeah, got protein rate. shakes. That uh, massage was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. You're welcome. Uh, my butt didn't really need that, but maybe maybe it did. It was the massage your butt didn't ask for, but needed. Unbelievable. <laughs> that sounds good in the mic, thanks. Oh, man. You're welcome. All right. We were talking about some of the magicness of uh, Hybogain, and uh, I think sometimes, um, sometimes science is, is behind. You know, sometimes science is behind what, what people are doing or what people are trying to do. And uh, it sounds like to me that you kind of stumbled upon this years ago and then you had a mentor, a guru, and then you started to uh, implement it with a lot of people. You fell in love with the process of being able to assist people because you yourself were suffering. And uh, then I don't know how it happened, but you and uh, Chris somehow met. And I think you've treated my brother as well, right? I have. Uh, I got a call from uh, Guru Amin one day, and he uh, I had only been tentatively familiar with uh, Chris's work, and uh, I had seen Bigger, Stronger, Faster, and I went back and watched it again, and the, the interesting thing was it was right at the beginning of COVID. Like, COVID wasn't a, 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 a household name as it is now, and it was so it was in March two years ago, and... Um, I mean, said, you better not go because I don't, I don't want you to get sick. And I'm like, if, if I don't go now, because he couldn't go because he was having issues with uh, in the in his family. And uh, I go, if I don't go now, it'll never get done. So let me just suck it up and go. So I just jumped on a plane and flew to Sacramento and, and met Chris. And um, I think that um, everything worked out really well. I wouldn't be here now. <laughs> yeah, what's kind of unbelievable is that um, I called Amin and talked to him. And Amin's like... Yeah, I'll do it for free because I want, I want, I know that you'll document this experience. So I'll just, I'll treat you. And then Amin couldn't come and he paid on his own dime for no reason almost, which is like, to me, just a testament to who he is. And his like, uh, he said, no, I, I told this guy, I'm going to help him. I'm going to go help him. And so he paid for his, he paid for the hotel. He paid for his own flight. He paid for everything to come out here just to treat me because somebody else told him this would be good for me. Like, this will help my career, and that's the guy that helped him. So I think that that bond right there with, with everything and, like, the trust issue, like, you know, I wasn't uh, shelling out any money to do this. And I was at a point where I was just so lost with pain. Um, my pain was at, you know, really high levels every single day. Uh, I had blown out my knee on a heavy deadlift, and that was bothering me for six months where I could barely walk, could barely make it around the block. When you guys, we would come here at 4 in the morning to work out and we'd be walking around the block and Mark and, and the other guys we'd work out with would be 150, 200 yards ahead of me. And what nobody knows, I was crying, you know, not, and not cause I was in pain, but cause I couldn't do what everybody else want, you know, was doing and it would drive me crazy. And so like, you know, in all honesty, I was at the lowest point that I ever was. And when I came out the other side of this, it, I don't even know why I'm getting emotional, but I came out the other side of it. I feel so much stronger on every level. Um, I don't have the same amount of pain. Like, so for three months afterwards, I felt like I got shot out of a cannon every single day. Like, I felt like, man, I feel great. Let's go attack the day. After a while, like Jim said, if you go back to what you're normally doing, like we went back to training really hard. You go back to training really hard. 
and you, you realize like, well, this pain's going to kick in again. So what have I been doing now? As you've seen is like, okay, going a lot lighter, not doing a lot of power lifting. So I think you live and you learn on this stuff, but I could not recommend it enough. Um, and I don't recommend it for everybody. I think that's, uh, something that people get a little crazy about. Like, ah, you recommend, I'm not recommended for, I'm recommended for people that were where, where I was. Yeah. People know who they are. Yeah. Are there people that are listening that are in that much pain? They know, they know anybody who cried while me or him were crying. They know. Yeah. They know that there's they need people it. that are suffering. They have severe, uh, issues that they want to get over. It's makes sense to at least look into it. it. It's disgusting to me that we just allow all these people to die. Like 72,000 people die of drug overdoses every single year. And we're worried about this virus killing people. Like, uh, we have, if you look on par in like San in the city of San Francisco, more people died of opioids during the whole pandemic than of, of the actual pandemic, right? Why? Well, because they're depressed and they're taking way more opiates and they're drinking way more. Alcohol was an essential business in this country. That's sickening, right? That alcohol was considered to be essential. Well, cause we got people hooked on it and now we have to keep giving it to them, Right. It's a sickness that we have. We are the most addicted country in the world to everything. We represent 4% of the world's population. We consume 80% of the world's prescription drugs. And nobody stands up and makes a stand and says anything about it. They worry about if we wear a mask. And it drives me crazy every day because they don't understand that people are dying, 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 dying left and right every single day from these things. Of a lot of other things, yeah. Um one thing I want to touch upon, you mentioned earlier, if you can uh, elaborate a little bit more, you, you kind of mentioned a couple times, this is no walk in the park, this is not easy, and I know for my brother, he's done it at least twice, and I know a couple other people have done Ibogaine more than once, and I think originally when I first heard about Ibogaine, it sounded kind of almost like a, a one-and-done type thing, and I, I kind of, from my brief knowledge of it a, a year or two ago, it sounded like you could just take it. And it just does the work for you, and then you're out. And then you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm not going to make some of those mistakes again. What's the truth of it? I think the truth is that um, we evolve in our knowledge. Because I thought the same. And because people, you know, how do you learn? People t teach you. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was taught. That's what I had been told, that um, it was a substance that was a one and done. That exact phraseology um, was given to me. And so, and for me... It was the case. Like I've never had a flood dose again. I've uh, I've microdosed several times, but that was you know an aside, more as an experiment or to make sure that, that the product that was available was legitimate. But in that for me to get rid of my addiction, you know, and I think the reason for that was that I was thirty nine years of my life without any opiates at all. I can remember getting my um, wisdom teeth pulled, and they gave me Percocets. I took one, got nauseous, threw them in the top drawer, never ever went back in the, um, the junk drawer and got them out. <clears throat> so it was easy for me once I got off the um, opiates with Ibogaine. So after the operation what got me hooked on it, it was easy to get off because most of my life I was off. But if I had been doing opiates since I was 13 or something, it might have been very hard to do um I began and stayed off because my body was used to the drugs for all of those years. So I think the truth is that it's a very individual thing. And so for some people, it can be a one and done. And some people may have to do it more than once. And that more than once would depend on 
what substance you're taking. Somebody with suboxone or methadone, it's much more likely you have to do it more than once. Um, it depends on what the trauma was that you suffered. I mean, I had a, a person who was a Vietnam vet, and he had tremendous, 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 um, dep- well, a depression, but um, post-traumatic stress and v- visions, and he he did once as a flood dose, but he microdoses all the time. You know, he likes to like cycle his microdoses, and he feels that that is um, at his age. He's an older gentleman. Um, he was needs there any, to do it like that. For you personally, was there any additional like work that you had to do? Like, I, I don't know. Did you uh, start going back to church, or did you start hanging out with different friends, or was there like? kind of a, a list of a couple things that maybe you would adhere to, to maybe you started working out again or something like that. I definitely had slacked off in the working out and like all my life, uh, the gym is my church. And so, you know, honest to God, that's where I see God. So <laughs> I got back to working out, you know, a lot more because there was too many layoffs. Those accidents, they create layoffs. And a lot of time, you know, when you're in law school, you have to obviously take time off. When you have cases and you're in court every day, you don't have time to work out. So there, there gets to be too much time off. And then when you're hooked on drugs, then that's like a full-time job, um, you know, doing what you need to do to to stay, you know, out of withdrawal. I don't think you mentioned this, but you were also very, very into bodybuilding. You competed over 20 times. Like, I think a lot of people that are watching this probably don't even know that. You've been a competitor your whole life. You train with some of the best people in the world. So that must be so hard to get away from. Yeah. I mean, that's why I really, really loved bodybuilding. And I would have, if I I can remember being in college. shit. In my, um... He trained with what Mike Matarazzo yeah. and uh, Paul well, DeMeo, or not, not with them, trained train them, right? Oh, yeah, coach in the beginning when you were when they were younger. Right? Yes. Both those guys have crazy that, legs. That's Mike Matarazzo and his father. <laughs> okay, there you go. At the '91 USA's, there's Mike's legs. Damn. That's my neck. <laughs> yeah, that's how it looks right now. Damn. Yeah. So, yep, that's what a little stint we had. <laughs> Mike Matarazzo. There's Mike. Gold's gym. Yep. That's sick. Yeah, so, I mean, the, both Mike and Paul, I was probably uh, six or eight years older than each of them. And um, they were all from the area that I lived. And I was competing all the time. Paul was, my mother was the music teacher at Malden High School. And I was helping with the football program. And Paul was a running back. He was tremendous. He had never been to a, a real gym before. Paul DeMeo was a running back? Quadzilla? Qua- <laughs> yeah. Imagine trying to, tack- awesome. trying to tackle Quadzilla. I'd be like. So I literally had to drag him to the gym. He'd drink gallons of milk instead of you see people with gallons of water. He's drinking gallons of whole milk. <laughs> and he had no idea how to work out. The same with Mike. I met Mike at, um, at a boxing gym in Boston. And, um, and I told him you have tremendous potential too. I mean, he had the most enormous calves I had ever seen. And I didn't know his father had such uh, passed on such genetics until I actually met his father. And so both of them, I brought to the gym, I showed them how to train, uh, told them how to eat. And so I can't credit all this success obviously, <laughs> into the pro ranks, but I started them out and, and I was good friends with both of them. And it's, it's such a sad thing to have them not with us. But, um, I was fortunate because there's a lot of good pros that came out of um, my area. You know, every Jay Cutler, um, he was a little bit younger than them. But, um, yeah, no, I just I loved it. If you told me when I was in college, my roommate was um, a ski instructor, and he wanted to be a professional skier. 
And I would sit there and say, I wanted to be a professional mm-hmm. bodybuilder. And then when I met those guys, I said, I better go to law school. <laughs> well, um, just like weeks preceding, like your first Ibogaine treatment, was there ever like, where you're like, oh man, I need, you know, I need that drug. I need Oxycontin again. Or, or was it just completely gone? Afterwards? Yeah. After, oh, after yeah, after. It was, like you just disappear? It, w- it was like when I was done, uh, I had brought some with me. Had given it to uh, Guru. I mean, he put it wherever he put it, and I'd forgotten about it. He gave it back to me and told me I had to throw it away. And I said, I don't just get rid of it. I don't even want to see it. Literally, you, you're repulsed by it. This is how I am, and this is what I see in other people. They're like they're repulsed by the drug, repulsed by the fact that it had such a hold on them and enslaved them. And that, to me, is the miracle of the drug. And that happens. To the point where I'm confident to say that it will, that it will always happen because I haven't had anybody that I gave it back to them. And they said, "Oh yeah, give me that," and then wanted to do it. And I haven't never had that. It repulses you, and I think that to me that's the most powerful part of it. I always get nervous with uh, with depression and PTSD and things like that, just because it's my own human nature. Maybe when I do a thousand people, I won't be nervous, but when you know we are at this level, it's just. Every single person is different, and I just try and deal with that person's issues and be get in tune with them, try and become one with them and ask them the relevant questions so that I can tell if I'm going to be able to give them advice on the amount to take and the length of time we need to spend and when it's time to eat again, when it's time to get up and walk again so that we can get beyond whatever problem they have. And a lot of the things that um, the benefits, they don't come until three weeks later. Sometimes it's not like right then. And that's because I think a lot of people that, my friend Anthony, who who is in California, and I know he would have loved to, um, to, to share his story too, but he was on methadone for 30 years. And I know that he had a struggle after his treatment. It was... So he week after week after week where he was dragging his ass around because think about it you're on methadone like that becomes your inspiration you know what I mean like if you're gonna go to the store I'm like oh, I gotta take a methadone to go to the store um, when well, it does give you energy suboxone and methadone yes. those things they give you a lot of energy right and so that's you know it becomes people's I like to call it like um, Green Day smoke and my inspiration yeah it's like I need to do a line of oxycontin to go and um, talk to somebody I don't want to talk to um, and that that's a terrible way to live <laughs> that's enslavement yeah. yeah and so I, I know he struggled for about six weeks. And then from that point on, it just kicked in. He saw the light, light, and he wasn't one to work out. He calls me every day and tells me about his training, how he's doing. And he's 62 years old. Mm. And so um, that, that, to me, is a miracle right there. I, I think one of the things that we haven't brought up is that this does reset, supposedly. Like, And I don't know the science behind it. Like I said, we're still learning everything. There's not a whole lot of research. But one thing Jim and I have been talking about a lot lately is the fact that this resets most of like these neurotransmitters in your body for even supposedly things like testosterone. So like if you weren't responding well to testosterone and you, you know, uh, did uh, clean out the androgen receptors or something. Supposedly. Like yeah. And we're, we're working towards more of that, but that's where I, that's why I'm still involved in this. Like I, I love it. I love finding out more about it. They call this the alien molecule because there is so little known about it. They think it's from a different planet. 
they honestly are like, this is the weirdest thing we've ever seen. Uh, nothing acts in the human body like this. So the fact that people can't explain it and they call it an alien mo- molecule, in my opinion, should be a reason to research it. But if it was effective in the use of hormone replacement therapy, that would be very, very interesting. So I've sent it off to a couple doctors to try to see if they can find anything on it. What was, what was your experience? Because yours is different because you did go to rehab and you had some success with that. Um but then, yeah, the second that I got done with Ibogaine, I was just laughing at, and tell Jim, I go, rehab is so stupid. Why would anybody <laughs> not? And I don't mean that necessarily, but I, I just mean in general, like this idea of like taking somebody who's a complete drug addict and just saying you can't have any more and throwing them in this thing with nothing to really help them um, seems to me almost criminal in a way rather than saying like, hey, here's something that we found uh, and the person can decide whether to do it or not. Right. Do we want to make anybody uh, do it. Ibogaine mimics like what you did. I think it mimics a lot of it what you did. It mimics what you're supposed to do probably via the It's uh, like it's like trying to work it's like um it's like a pre-workout, right? Like it gets you ready for, you know, but it's like but I, you I can't have the work done by anybody else. You have to do it yourself, and that's probably why the psychedelics to, might be more effective. You still have to do it yourself, but it may it gives you such a hand in doing it. Like when I went to rehab, like you were asking him, do you still think about doing those drugs every day? And, you know, he, he said no. But when I went to rehab, I thought about drinking every single day of the 90 days. When I got out and I'd go past a liquor store, it was like a trigger. It, when I walked down the aisles of the supermarket, it was a trigger. And now I can walk anywhere and walk right, in, you know, right through the alcohol aisle. I can look at it. I can laugh at it. I don't even think about it. I mean, I used to drink alcohol anywhere I went, you know. So I was... um you know, I was an alcohol fiend when I was an alcoholic. It was it was all I thought about all day long. And um, I watched the time, you know, what's really sad about alcoholism, and a lot of people don't know this, it's like one of the most lonely diseases in the world, and you just keep spending less and less time with people and more and more time with yourself, and you start drinking earlier and earlier and earlier. And when, when you wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning to walk out across the street and get a drink, you know, like – you definitely need to be con- conditioned out of that. And that was something that I was doing, right? So uh, rehab for me was amazing. So I don't want to like really shit on rehab, but it was amazing because I personally felt like at that time, the only thing that could stop me was being locked up. But I didn't know about Ibogaine. And if I had known about Ibogaine, one thing that we should definitely mention for safety uh, reasons is that if you are an alcoholic or if you're on benzodiazepines like Xanax or Ativan or Klonopin or any of those kind of drugs, that you should detox from those first through a medical doctor or some sort of rehab system, right? There's there's medical detoxes. And then you would do Ibogaine because you don't want to have anybody have seizures. But it supposedly works for alcoholism. You know, I, I had a... Um, I would chew all the time. And I, like he was saying with the cigarettes, I threw it out afterwards. And like once in a while I use, I use nicotine patches now and then, but um, I don't use the tobacco that, you know, causes cancer. I use the ones that don't, you know, so it just allows you to make better choices and it makes those better choices really, really easy to come by. So then I'm curious, you ended up doing it twice, right? Yes. Okay. So what was the second time for? So what Jim talked about is like you, you, reach a level with it where you feel really good. But then if you go back to doing the same things you did, like I did, it was just dumb. Um, I wanted to do it again because I got myself back into pain by training too hard. You know, I felt great. So I started coming in going full blast again. 
mm-hmm. and then and just ended up getting hurt again. And then that ended up ending up turning into more chronic pain. I was having trouble with my feet. But what I also didn't realize at the time, and this is crucial, my testosterone levels were really, really low, mm. like really low. And so, um, and I didn't know that even until months and months after I did the second Ibogaine trip. The interesting thing about the second one, um, it was more of an emotional experience than anything because our mother had just passed away literally the day before. So she passed away on the 24th, which is coming right up uh, pretty soon. And then on the 20, uh, 25th, I think was when I was scheduled to go to Colorado and meet with these guys and, you know, do another journey. And so when I came out of that specific trip, I just remember the first thing in my head was your mother's not dead. Your mother's a legend. She'll live on forever. And I just kept thinking that like you you put your mother in a movie. She's in a movie. Nobody else's mom. I don't, I don't know a lot of people's moms in a movie. I don't know a lot of people that, so I, I just, I just had a, such a perspective on it. And, um, I really feel it was from the eyeball game. You know, I didn't feel I, when I was going to Colorado, like we were flying to Colorado, um, I cried the entire flight because my mom just died the day before and I'm sitting on the plane crying all the way to Colorado. I get there. I see these guys. I cheer up a little bit. I take some Ibogaine. Next thing you know, I'm like, okay, my mom's a legend. Let's go home. You know, and to me, that kind of stuff is invaluable. I'm not saying that's going to happen to anybody, but if you want to erase some trauma, this is the Etch-A-Sketch for your brain. This is what will do it. Yeah. To give you a different perspective. Do you, do you kind of think, uh, in your experiences with Ibogaine, Chris, does it maybe a little, play out a little bit like a movie since you're a filmmaker? Exactly, <laughs> like yeah. someone's like, hey, let's go back and let's check out what happened when you were eight. Let's well, go exactly, back and check out what happened when you were 12 or whatever. It's exactly like a movie. And if you saw my little movie I did, it's called Ibogaines with a Z on the end because um, I gained a lot from it. You know, and I put that on. Uh, it's just a little video I did on YouTube um, about my experience. But it. <laughs> What was the question again? Uh, just, just does it play back like a movie? Oh, it does plays it back show a movie, you different. Yeah. So, like in that, Jim was talking about running around with a gun when he's a little kid and stuff. Yeah, in my specific <laughs> um, movie, in the little movie I made, I have a little section where I say, uh, "Amin told me I was gonna." Amin and Jim told me I was gonna face my deepest fears, you know. And I showed like uh, Andre the Giant facing or Hulk Hogan, <laughs> you know, facing off against Andre the Giant. I showed um, like Darth Vader when he's like going after Luke Skywalker in the Dagobah mm-hmm. scene. I showed like. Uh, Rocky versus Drago, like these are your darkest fears, you know? <laughs> and so I, I thought about that, like going going into it, like all these crazy things. And when I got into it, I talked to Mad Dog, our brother. And he just said, don't worry, man, I, I didn't belong down there with you guys. Like kind of, and it, it, it might even be something that you said, like he never really fit in with, uh, he never felt like he fit in with, you know, people. And he said, like, I'll be all right. I'm where I'm supposed to be. And to me, that was like, so I don't know why it was such a freedom, but I feel like uh, because I had gone through a lot of the same things that, oh, maybe I could have helped him. Mm-hmm. But we know now that like, you got to let that go. Like you, you couldn't help him. You know, he was unhelpable at the time. And so, uh, you know, you think about it after you do it, you're like, oh, if, if Mad Dog had Ibogaine, would he be alive? And it's like, he already told me he's not supposed to be here, so I'm not even going to sweat that. I'm not even going to worry about that. But if I can save somebody else, mm-hmm. let's give it a shot. That makes sense. Yeah, in regards to the pain, Chris, uh, you know, do you think the um, the pain relief that you experienced, would you still have been able to maintain that if you didn't go full bore on the workouts, like literally I, the next day? 
I truly believe so. So the other thing that's really interesting is I've never had, I've heard of people having problems with addictions to Kratom, right? Usually it's because of taking a really, really large amount. Um, I had been taking Kratom every day right up until I did my first Ibogaine treatment. And then I went off of Kratom for over a year, you know? Um, even even when I got back in pain, I really, I would use it once in a while, but even until more recently, like more recently I started using it again because I've also realized like we have all these different tools and if they're effective and they're not really affecting anything, might as well use them in, you know, certain mm-hmm. uh, dosages and, and things. So I really, I really feel that if, yeah, if I didn't do anything, I might've maintained that. Mm-hmm. that feeling much much longer yeah uh you or jim do you have you guys seen anybody take ibogaine for pain relief and then like microdose after a uh, what you call the flood dose to maintain that pain relief i always give people the option of doing that and mm-hmm. explain to them some people feel like they need it um right away a lot of people just have a, a mental um i don't know if it would be a mental block they feel like uh, I like the gentleman who um, ended up going to the gym, going to a party, <laughs> and going to the mm-hmm. gym again. I thought he was amazing because I just know how wiped out I was. And again, mm-hmm. I know that I had been on opiates, and as Chris described, they give you energy. It's like they at first they give you energy, and then after a while they suppress your central nervous system, and you feel tired. This gentleman, he, he had um, pain issues from having lifted for so many years i think i want to say he had a contract with metrix or mm-hmm. one of the companies early on in in his career and he had a lot of pain injuries and he um he told me he was like deathly afraid that this good feeling was going to end mm-hmm. and so that's when i told him okay let what well, this is what i suggest with regard to boost this if you if it does feel like it's gonna if it doesn't then why take something that you don't need to take, but if actually you start to feel that way, then this is what you are size human being I think you should take and how often I think you should take it. So there is people that want to do that and I would encourage them to do it, but don't take it if you don't need it. Like really make sure that that you need it because then then it would become another crutch. It, mm-hmm. You know and I I don't. The good thing is it's not something that you withdraw from. It's not something that you have to take. And that it's the flood dose that people might have a distaste for. Mm. The microdosing, the idea of it is you take an amount that you don't feel or you just barely feel, if that. If it's more than that, then it's not a microdose. So then how does it – so I know with, like, Chris, you, you have your, your hips and then your – um. I think, did you tear, how many times did you tear your rotator cuff? A like, lot. A lot, yeah, <laughs> a bunch of times. <laughs> so, like, uh, I'm just thinking, so, like, for, for chronic pain, though, like, this is, like, pain that I have in my back. Like, I was doing the math, and it's, like, going on 15 years that my back's been hurting. Wow. And so, like, how can taking something reverse that? Like, I mean, I feel like there's there's a lot of stuff built up back there. There's, like. Everything's in your brain. Just remember that. Okay. Okay. Right? Well, so, uh, it okay. works uh, on your brain. I'm, okay. I'm cool with that. Uh but like x-rays and MRIs will show like arthritis and all kinds of shit going on back there. And I'm with you, Chris, yeah. I'm in full um, agreement there, but I'm just curious, like, is it literally just like a switch goes on in your brain? It's like, it shuts off that pain or does something else happen to where it can even, I don't know, make you believe that it's repairing itself and then it does. 
And how did you feel? I, I would have to say I don't actually know how yeah. how it works, but I do know that it affects your brain. And a lot of times, so a lot of times what happens with an injury is like, so say I hurt my knee, but my knee healed, like it completely healed. And there's no, but there's no way to get blood in there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so there's a couple things I can do. I can do all the knees over toes exercises, which I do. They help get a lot of blood in there and that blood flow is going to help heal. But when you reconnect things in the brain, I believe I'm, this is a theory. I'm believing that it will like reset those nerves or, or do whatever mm-hmm. to, to make them at sort of like what I keep hearing about Ibogaine. And I, again, I don't know if this is true. This is why we need more research on it. It, they say that it resets everything. It's a massive reset of your body, of all your neurotransmitters. So that your pain receptors reset, your hormone receptors reset. Uh, like I said, I have not seen a valid study claiming that. Um, but, other people say that they're out there. So I, I just, I don't know enough about researching mm-hmm. stuff medically to sort of dive in all that. Um, but that's why we need more information. That's why we even want to maybe make a documentary where I just follow around Jim and document, mm-hmm. you know, some of these crazy stories. Like the craziest story that I've heard so far is a, a friend of ours wife. Um, she uh, had a traumatic incident with her husband who was a cop and he had been shot. And so like she had this traumatic incident where she had lost 15 years of her memory and she wanted to do Ibogaine, but she didn't really tell me why until we got there. And then when I got there, she's like, well, this happened to me, blah, blah. I'm like, whoa, like, I, I mean, it's not going to get, I don't think it's going to get your memory back. Right. Mm. So then, like, I don't know, we treated her. We didn't hear anything for like three, four months. And I'm like, okay, I guess, Maybe it didn't work. Maybe that was a bomb out, you know? So then I talked to our friend and he goes, I need to thank you so much. I, I can't even, I don't even know where to start. And he told me that on Christmas, his wife waited a couple months and on Christmas day, she basically informed him like her, her present to him was like, you have me back now. Oh my gosh. You know? And she's, he's like, what are you talking about? And she gave him like a little gift and it was like a little brain. He's like, what's this? And she's like, that's my brain. I got it back. And it, and it's, I'm all you now. And I, he was like, wait a second, you remember, like, she forgot the birth of her children. And so through this experience, she was able to, like, relive, I don't, I have no idea what happened mm-hmm. to her. But to me, that, stuff like that is like, you gotta, we gotta look into this stuff. Yeah. That's why people ask me all the time, does it help with Alzheimer's? Does it help with, mm-hmm. and these are the things that need Not to sure. be studied. Not sure yet. Right. But something like that would indicate that it, um, it deals with memory and traumatic brain injuries. We got to look into it, right? Absolutely. That's why I want to fight for that. I think the, um, you know, we're working with a guy, um, you know, who's fought professionally. And, uh, it, like, that's going to be interesting, you know, to, to see, like, does it help with uh, the, the brain injuries? Does it help with anything like that? It'd be right. great to see. Does mm-hmm. it help with concussions? That's why I feel like the best thing I can do is just keep helping people through that experience. Because everybody I help have has 12 people that they tell six people that call and then you know out of that six people you treat three and then they tell 12 people and it just starts to be a spider web that spreads and sooner or later they can't ignore this that's crazy because i thought you guys are getting like one or two requests from people and he shows me like his email there's like 175 new requests for people to do this i like what you said in the beginning about it being like an inner interrupter and about it being a, a second chance because it's like, okay, let's just let's just say there's some risk. There's some risk to doing everything, right? Let's just say there's some risk. But imagine just even ha- even just having a shot at a second chance. 
or even having a chance or a shot at having something interrupt, just briefly interrupt whatever the thing is that you're going through, uh, even if it doesn't work great and even if it doesn't work permanently, fuck, man, like at least it gave you, it gave you at least an opportunity at a second shot. It's just, it's amazing to me, like, you know, when I was a kid, if, if, um, if you, you know, you, you grew some weed next to the garage or something hung up in the garage and you were lucky if you could get just as high from the newspaper if you rolled that up today you get kids in high school and younger they're actually shooting intravenous drugs mm. they're shooting cocaine they're taking pills and, and melting them down and shooting them in their veins if that's not more dangerous <laughs> to do an ibogaine i don't know what is so if there's a chance to interrupt that addiction and stop that kid from putting that needle in his vein, then I'm taking that risk. That's it. Yeah. Awesome. Andrew, you want to take us on out of here, buddy? Uh, sure thing. Thank you, everybody, for checking out today's episode. Sincerely appreciate it. Uh, yeah, make sure you guys leave us reviews if, if any of this um, affected you today or if anything sparked your interest. We'd really appreciate that. And also, please follow the podcast at Mark Bell's Power Project on Instagram, at MB Power Project on TikTok and Twitter. My Instagram and Twitter is at I am Andrew Z at the Andrew Z on TikTok and SEMA. Where are you at? I didn't see my Inyang on Instagram and YouTube. I didn't see my Inyang on TikTok and Twitter. Chris and Jim. And Jim, yep. And if anybody wants to talk about Ibogaine, it's theredpillreset.com. Yeah, and also uh, on my Instagram, if you click the link in my bio, it'll bring you to the Ibogaine's movie. And um, I will put a link on there as well for the Red Pill Reset. So if people want to get in touch with Jim and they can't find him, it's the red P- redpillreset.com. But I'll put a link in my bio as well. Does uh, anybody go through the treatment with their eyes open? No. Because it, it gets too weird. It gets too weird. And I, know, I don't advocate this, and I don't do this, but um, in a lot of the videos I've seen for um, Costa Rica, from um, Mexico clinics down there, they put eye shades on them. And um, mm-hmm. some people encourage people to listen to the Bawiti music, which uh, which I don't advocate either. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should just let Ibogaine take you where it wants to take you. I'm at Mark's Millie Bell. Strength is never weakness. Weakness is never strength. Catch you guys later.